Hello and welcome everybody to the Rob and Roller Studios, which is actually just our two living rooms. I'm Josh Roller and I'm joined as always by Rob Peters and this is the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We have lots to talk about, lots of racing this weekend, which we love and we have some news to share. Rob's going to be sharing that. We're going to be debating some of it later on as well. If you're new to the show, we hope you enjoyed and you come back for more next week and maybe listen to some of our previous podcasts as well. If you're returning, Rob and I are happy to have you back. So without further ado, because we have a lot to talk about, we want to keep it to time as best we can. We don't want another Josh rant or Rob rant this weekend. That's going to consume a lot of our time. Rob, kick our show off with Rob's Racing Report. Yeah, we had a lot of racing this weekend. Uh, quite actually more than on average. I think there was racing... Almost every in every major series, NHRA was back in action. You had uh, F1 doing their thing, F3, F2. NASCAR had tons of races at Kentucky. IndyCar had doubleheaders. Plus, there was a uh, USF 2000 Pro Mazda stuff that was going on, too. Not going to cover those, but, you know, hey, they happened. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump into the Rob's Racing Report and talk about the news that happened from the past week. Uh, first note here, NASCAR has released the remainder of the schedule for the Cup Series as well as some Xfinity truck and ARCA races through the Cup Series regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway. The NASCAR Cup Series will close out the regular season with races at Michigan on August 8th and 9th. Uh, the first ever race on the Daytona International Speedway road course on Sunday, August 16th, Dover International Speedway on August 22nd and 23rd before the finale at Daytona International Speedway's Oval on August 29th. The Xfinity Series races at Road America on August 8th, the Daytona Road Course on August 15th, Dover on August 22nd and August 23rd, and then the Daytona Oval on August 28th. The Truck Series will race at Michigan on August 7th, Daytona Road Course on August 15th, which is interesting. I didn't expect that one, but I love to see it. Uh, Dover on August 21st and Gateway on August 30th. The Arkham Menard Series uh, will race at Michigan on August 9th, and then also surprising the Daytona Road Course. I'm curious to see how that will go, considering ARCA races have just been complete garbage the last couple of races uh i'm kind of excited to see if maybe a road course race will make for some more interesting action uh and then arkham menard series goes back goes to gateway on august 29th with uh the truck series and then the arkham menard series east races at dover on august 21st so of note the four races at daytona's road course replacements are replacements for the now canceled watkins Glen weekends um because uh there was we were probably not going to get a waiver to compete there. Uh, New York is still sadly quite a COVID hotspot, uh, so not really. Uh, yikes! Kind of throwing some questions into there. Uh, Gateway is no longer a part of the Truck Series playoffs, uh, and the tr- Daytona Road Course race for the Truck Series is a realignment from Iowa Speedway. The Truck Series will no longer race at Eldora Speedway or Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, and will be replaced with tracks that are yet to be announced. Xfinity races at Mid-Ohio and Michigan are all being realigned. We don't know where yet, but they're being realigned. Richmond and Texas for the Stuck Truck Series are still to be rescheduled or realigned. So we don't know where they're going, but uh, we know that they're probably, they're not going there. So uh, next piece of news, not related to scheduling, but still related to NASCAR. NASCAR sent out a memo this past week that asked teams to be more vigilant with mask usage. Uh, as NASCAR has seen, quote, more and more van loads of crew members rolling up to the track without masks on and people wearing their mask down uh, around their chin, uh, the stank- sanctioning body stressed that it is up to all participants to do th- their part all the time as one cluster could derail the 2020 season, especially since in North Carolina hospitalizations have reached 1,000 uh, for the first time. You know, that's 
really important to keep in mind because when we're looking at and, and this is a good time to kind of throw in a little piece of rumor i guess that we're, we're that, that's been happening uh there's some rumor about whether or not texas will be run uh this upcoming race at texas i believe next week um there's been a lot of uh speculation that the nascar could elect not to run there or that they would not be allowed to run in texas uh, that could be, uh, you know, Eddie Gossage is absolutely 110% uh, adamant that it's going to happen, but there's been anonymous sources from inside the garage area that do not wish to be named, but have uh, said they have insider information that says NASCAR is not so sure if Texas is going to take place. So we'll monitor that probably. We'll probably get some news on that, most likely after this podcast drops. So uh, just we'll keep monitoring that and watching that, see what happens. Uh, a big time surprise happened uh this week as well this is uh we talked about on the podcast last week or at least we were speculating on the podcast next last next last week where could sebastian vettel go you know where could sebastian vettel go and we threw out oh maybe what's the only place that he's got up in is reno right well that's not any longer the case anymore uh he's not going to reno because uh fernando alonso is going to reno uh he's been signed as Renault's uh, replacement for the outgoing Daniel Ricardo who's signed for McLaren for next season. So F1 silly season is really getting crazy because you got Carlos Sainz looking at uh, Ferrari and uh, seeing Ferrari basically have a double retirement and uh, be down qualifying on the grid and thinking how do I unsign a contract? But Ricardo's already got his seat and now Ricardo can't go back. Nothing everything's set in stone cuz Alonso's coming back to race for Renault. Um, which he's done in the past. He's won two world championships with them, but they've gone through some substantial changes since that time. It's not the same Renault that he was with before. Flavio Briatore is not uh, associated with the team anymore. Uh, it's still the same end zone Renault team uh, because it you know, just turned into Lotus and then now it's Renault again, but it's not the same Renault team that Alonso was with and definitely not the same front-running Renault team that Alonso was with. So unless he's banking on 2022 regulations, evening the field much more, Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't see Alonso grabbing another world championship this way. I think he'll get some points. He'll get points, that's for sure. But I don't know about wins and world championships. Uh, we'll see, unless Renault has something up their sleeve that we don't know. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. So anyway, following the Styrian Grand Prix, uh, this is more Renault news. Uh, we've got more Renault news to talk about. Renault filed an official protest about the legality of Racing Point's car. The protest against uh, the an alleged breach of Articles 2.1 and 3.2, uh, Appendix 6, Paragraph 1, Section 2A and 2C of the uh, FIA Formula 1 Sporting Regulations in 2020, with the first few articles stating that the team will observe the provisions of the regulations and always comply with them throughout practice and race. Uh, so let's go through some of the FIA uh, jargon that's gonna we're going to try to explain for you here. The, uh, the, app, uh, the appendix items in question relate to listed parts with paragraph 1 stating, quote, a competitor shall, in respect of the listed parts to be used in its cars in Formula 1, only use listed parts which are designed by it. Uh, so essentially what they're saying is Racing Point didn't design their parts. Uh, then the next part here is Renault's, pro Renault's protest against the legality of Racing Point has been deemed admissible by the FIA stewards at the Syrian Grand Prix, and parts of the RP20 have been impounded, sealed, and await an FIA technical department representative examination. The protest has been lodged against the front and rear brake ducts on this year's Racing Point, with Renault claiming they are not the team's own design, but instead that of Mercedes last year. So when a lot of people... 
were saying in preseason that uh, Racing Point just showed up with a pink Mercedes from 2019. It looks like Renault really truthfully believes that, uh, that, that Racing Point has just showed up with a 2019 spec Mercedes. And to be honest with you, <laughs> Racing Point's results have been much better than I expected them to be. So, but, but I will say, while this is bad, I want to editorialize a little bit. I'm not unopposed to seeing Sergio Perez run well, and I'm not unopposed to seeing a midfield team challenge for podiums. So I understand why ethically this is wrong, but hey, I'm not complaining as a fan. From a fan standpoint, it's nice to see some more action being shaken up. I mean, you saw a racing point on Sunday, mix it up with a Ferrari and Renault, you know, and, and not Ferrari, but Red Bull, excuse me, Red Bull and Renault, uh, and, and well, could have been Ferrari too. We'll see, but probably you know, would have had Ferrari. probably would have been Ferrari, but you know, the point is they were mixing it up at the front and they weren't stuck there with the Haases. They weren't stuck there with the Williams. They weren't stuck there with the Renaults. You know, it's, it, it, it worked out. You know, they were racing with McLarens too. McLaren is, is, is coming back a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. so it's good midfield, you know, good battles for points, you know, first through 10th had some really good battles. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, I think what most formula one fans wants to, wants to see if, you know, if you, yeah. if you already know who's going to win the race ahead of time, uh, then you might as well just enjoy the, the battle for the points. So you have something to say, Josh, or were you just, yeah, I was just going to say that I think Mercedes has kind of separated themselves a little bit, but McLaren and maybe even racing point, if they're able to keep this has kind of closed the gap more in a Red Bull and Ferrari. We might see this new midfield, this like upper midfield. Give me more Sergio Perez podiums, and I'll, I'll be right there with you. All right, so uh, continuing on, more Texas COVID-type news. Circuit of the Americas has announced that the rescheduled MotoGP race, which was pushed back to November 15th, has been canceled altogether. Reports are also circulating that the United States Grand Prix, originally set to take place this fall, is also in jeopardy of being canceled. The good news for Circuit of the Americas is that MotoGP has intentions to return to the Texas track uh, April 16th through 18th of next season so at least MotoGP will be back at coda i know that there's been a lot of uh concern around that race considering the fact that riders do not quite like the surface at circuit of the americas uh especially for MotoGP riders again i'm more partial to see them come back to indianapolis but we'll talk about something like that little on in this show uh more formula one news and scheduling news around formula one formula one has ad added two additional races to the schedule Magella will host its first ever formula one event on september 13th the tuscan grand prix and then on september 27th the russian grand prix will return and it will take place in sochi at the sochi autodrome uh so that's good i, I, I know i know people don't like sochi i think it's got an interesting first two sectors the last sector is boring as all hell but the first two sectors, I think, are interesting and, and fun, but, eh, you know, it's, 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 it has some passing zones. You know, it has some yeah. passing zones, so action can be good there if, like we said, you know, the, the midfield battle is pretty good, so. Um, interesting news here. We're, we're really, really going forth on the news today. This morning, on Monday morning, Tony Stewart and Ray Everham, along with former NASCAR COO George Pine, are forming a new racing series called the Superstar Racing Experience. This series will focus on short track racing during next summer. Rumor has it that Nashville Fairgrounds, Knoxville Raceway, and Eldora Speedway are potential hosting tracks. The racing will air on CBS, and Tony Stewart says that this is not to compete with NASCAR, but to be an additional racing series for fans and a new take on racing. So a lot of people have kind of 
compared it, I guess, to IROC. I don't mm-hmm. want to say it's IROC coming back, but it would be nice to see that ha- take place. If IROC were to come back, something like that, I would like to see a little bit more diversity so we're not just throwing in the top five NASCAR competitors and then, you know, two IndyCar competitors, a sports car competitor, and Steve Kinzer. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's kind of what our, our IROC was towards the end of its its uh, career. Though I will give them creds for at least allowing Sebastian Bourdais to come in as a champ car champion. Uh, I think only once or twice, maybe, though. But, hey, got to go with that. And uh, they let Elio in, I remember, for winning the... No, what, what did they win? They let Elio in for being an Indy 500 champion, but not that prior year. It was weird. IROC had some really weird, like, approval words like uh, drivers that should have been in were not in and then drivers that you didn't know why they were in were in like mark martin was still in for winning bush championships that he from years ago i or bush race mark martin never won a bush championship no he didn't that's right so he was still he was in there for just he won asa though right i think he he won the most art iraq championships he did so he was in iraq for that reason but the real reason why he was in iraq was Never quite understood. You know, he didn't win a championship to qualify for IROC. But he finished second, so I guess since it was NASCAR, they just let him in. I Probably. Were they going to ever let the second-place finisher in Champ Car do that or the second-place finisher in the World of Outlaws do that? I don't think that was going to be good. But NASCAR, sure. Heck, even the second-place NASCAR Bush Series guy would have been in there. I think Jason Keller was in there a couple of times, the champion. I don't know. Um. Anyway... Uh, so we're going to go, uh, because on, on Wednesday, on Wednesday, we got the NASCAR all-star race coming up, uh, and that's going to be at Bristol Motor Speedway. So first time, uh, first time in, since 1987, I think that the all-star race has not been held at Charlotte. 86. 86. Okay. So 86, yeah. 86. So I was close. I, I approximated my dates, but whatever. Uh, but it will feature a test of the choose cone rule and underglow, underglow lighting for the 20 locked in cars. For the all-star event. Uh, yeah, still reading that. Still reading that makes me kind of... The all-star race is going to be weird. I don't even know how to feel about this race. Like, it's, I'm excited to 20, win it. It's 2020, man. It's 2020. Everything is screwed up. I, I'm excited That's- to watch it, but, like, nothing is the same. It feels like a huge gimmick, you know? Plus, I'm used it, to the all-star race being in May, and I kind of prefer it to be in May, but... Uh, I digress. Um, anyway... Uh, Josh and I would like to take uh, a say. I go, you know, this ends Rob's racing report, and we're going to move on to the next uh, next uh, part of the show. But uh, you know, we always hate to do this, and I feel like this is not the first time we've had to do this. It's definitely not the first time we've had to do this. We've had to do it a couple of times so far on the show, and it really sucks every time we have to do it. Uh, but Josh and I would like to end this segment with a moment of silence for Sean Beluzzo who passed away on Saturday night following an accident in the second of two 50-lap races at Langley Speedway. According to Marty O'Brien of the Virginian pilot, Beluzzo 64 is the winningest driver in Langley history. Uh, he won 11 track champions there, championships there. Uh, he was a very, very well-known name down in that uh, section of the racing community. And uh, our hearts and prayers and thoughts and everything are with his family and all the fans that uh, have come to see him race for so many, so many years. Uh, so we want to take a moment to just remember Sean before we jump into the next. So we'll take a brief moment of silence here and then jump into our featured paint scheme.
All right, thank you, everybody. Uh, like Rob mentioned, we're going to go jump into the, the featured paint scheme segment here. This uh, this episode, we're going with the 2006 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, Rob, I want to say I'm surprised at your pick, but I'm I'm not. I'm not surprised, and I do like your your pick. So why don't you share one about it? So the Truck Series of 2006 was a I think, in my opinion, it was a wild series. I felt like it was the wild west of the truck series. One of the last real wild west of the truck series. Where, you know, drivers from the Cup Series would come in, run one-offs with random teams. Uh, You know, you had... I I mean, really, you didn't see much of this after 2006. I felt like it was a common theme up until 2006. And then by 2007 and 2008, I think people started to, like, focus hardcore on the truck series and NASCAR wanted to kind of make it its own series and not have too many cup drivers come down. Uh, but there were a lot of them that in, were in there. Josh, you'll talk about one layer in a, layer a little on, but it was also kind of the start for where the truck series was. I mean, it wasn't the start, but it was kind of a continuation of the previous few years where the truck series had been kind of a stepping stone ladder. And so there was a lot of drivers who got uh, their truck starts uh, in 2006, and there was a lot of drivers who got their starts in the truck series around the mid-2000s as well, got their NASCAR careers started in general. They came up from ARCA and started running the truck series uh, before the Bush. Previously, you would just skip the truck series altogether. You would just go straight from ARCA into the Bush series. But then Greg Biffle kind of and Kurt Busch as well kind of proved that you don't need to do that. You know, you don't really need to do that if, if you don't want to. Ryan Newman as well definitely proved that you don't need to do that if you don't want to. Um, you can just jump right up. You could skip any ladder that you want, and you could just go straight there. Or you could be Greg Biffle and win a championship in every single one and then get your cup cup, uh, cup right. Either way, uh, but there was one that, you know, hey, it was 2006. NASCAR needs a, an answer to Danica. Who do we choose? We choose Aaron Crocker, right? We choose Aaron Crocker, right? And who, what does Aaron Crocker do? Well, she runs a full season. Uh, in the number 98 Cheerios Betty Crocker Dodge Ram for Everham Motorsports. And, you know, I could, you could get into stories. Jeremy Mayfield could probably tell you better stories about this than I could. Um, let's be honest with ourselves. But I'm going to focus specifically on the truck. Um, the fact that it's drivable in NASCAR 07. So if you want to drive this thing around Dodge Raceway Stadium, which is definitely something that I have no problems doing at any given time. I will do that uh, all the time, actually, because it's a great, great choice. Dodge Raceway Stadium is something that should exist. I don't. I. I want. I want some investor from some in, millennial investor to just make it happen someday. Lure a, a, a NASCAR and a pro football team into this big stadium where you run like a giant Bowman Gray. Almost. It was a modern take on Soldier Field. Yes, that too. Yeah, more modern take on Soldier Field and. You know, it's a beautiful track. Uh, it's not real, but it's beautiful. But anyway, so the point is, uh, Aaron Crocker drove the number 98 Betty Crocker uh, Dodge Ram in the entire 2006 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series season. That's something that I completely forgot. I didn't realize she made the whole season's worth of starts. Like, it, it I honestly, to be completely honest with you, her entire Truck Series career was ent- so forgettable, I completely forgot she started every race in 2006. Um, and to just prove to you how forgettable the the se- season was for Crocker, uh, she had only a best finish of 16th, and that came twice, first at Kansas and then second at Phoenix. Now, comparatively, she had far better ARCA results 
at this time. She had second places. She didn't have wins, but she had second places, third place finishes, lots of top fives, plenty of top tens. Um, and this was when Arca had full fields, more or less full fields, strong, healthy fields. So, I mean, that was impressive in and of itself. And I can understand why people might have looked at Crocker's results there and said, okay, well, you know, this is, if she, if we got full-time sponsorship with her, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Let's try it. Uh, the rest is history, though. The rest is history, though. But the car, the truck itself looked beautiful. I mean, it, it, it was it, 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 it was a modern take. It was like, you know, the Richard Petty, uh, Cheerios, Betty Crocker cars, but without the Petty Blue. Uh, the Petty Blue was replaced with the yellow, with the yellow base. Um, and so if you can kind of imagine Bobby Labonte's scheme from 2006, uh, it was a lot like that, except instead of petty blue, you you had just straight up uh, Cheerios yellow, and then I think that was that made for a very beautiful scheme uh, in, in general. I think it's one of the best looking schemes in uh, period. I mean, she ran a couple of Bush races in two thousand six, ran the Arca races, same kind of car, same kind of look of the car, uh, but it was a beautiful car at the time. I still love it. I'm just sad that it didn't get better results, and you know, history went one way that. Maybe it shouldn't have, and maybe Casey Kane would have still been winning races in the number nine uh, had history not changed the way it did, because 2006 was Casey's best year, and then 2007 was statistically his worst. So go figure. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Anyway, Josh, go ahead and tell us about yours, because I like yours quite a bit. I think it's a good one. I'm going with one that I had forgotten completely that ran, and I and I had known that it had ran before, it just slipped my mind. So I'm going through these paint schemes and searching Google and Jayski. I come across Clint Boyer's number 07, Jack Daniels Chevrolet Silverado for Greenlight Racing. And I know what you're thinking, Josh. I think you have your series mixed up. No, I don't. Trust me. Go to Jayski. Go to 2006 Truck Series. You'll see the 07 Jack Daniels truck for Greenlight Racing there. Uh, it, it ran just a single race. That's all ran. Just one race. Now, just basically, like you said, put Clint Boyer's 06 car in the Cup Series on a truck. That's all this paint scheme was. Black base and had and had the Jack Daniels lining and whatnot on the 07, which is easily one of the best number sponsorship pairings of all time. Um, he he ran it at Martinsville in the spring race on April 1st. It was a Kroger 250, won by David Starr, his last truck series win to date, by the way. And Clint started third, finished seventh after leading 84 laps. It was the only top 20 start and top 15 finish for the 07 uh, for Greenlight Racing that year. And, uh, you know, I've always just enjoyed the, the Jack Daniels sponsored cars too. Like when, when Austin Dillon ran Jack Daniels last year at the Roval, mm, mm-hmm. man, good looking car. Good. And it also is a black number three again. So <laughs> that helps. So, exactly. Uh, so with that, we're going to move on here. Uh, this week's winners, we're going to go over those. So the Xfinity series, easy, both races won by Austin Sindrick, his first and second career win in stock car racing on an oval. All right. He's got the one truck win, uh, at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. And then last year at Watkins Glen in mid Ohio in the Xfinity series, uh, the Arca Menards race at Kentucky is won by Ty, Ty Gibbs. IndyCar on Saturday was won by Scott Dixon. And then the Truck Series at Kentucky, Sheldon Creed got his first career truck win. Uh, Rain-shortened event there. Formula One uh, for the second time at the Redwall Ring. Lewis Hamilton found his way to victory lane there. Uh, IndyCar on Sunday, uh, Felix Rosenquist uh, got his first career in NTT IndyCar Series victory. And then at Kentucky, Cole Custer gets his first career 
victory as well. And then Rob, I just realized I passed over you. You did. You did. One F2 and F3. So I forgot to put them in the run, run rundown, but you know, they happened. So uh, Formula 3 at the Red Bull Ring. The first race was uh, completed in a complete downpour. Absolute terrible conditions. But uh, uh, Frederick Vesti came out the victory, the victor in that one. Uh, and Formula 3's second race uh, was a wild one in which the two leaders, Jake Hughes and, um, gosh, who else was it? Shoot, I'm forgetting. Uh, it's, it's, I lost it. I lost it. Uh, the two leaders basically crashed. Uh, on on the uh, coming uh, almost to the end of the race, and uh, essentially set up a safety car, and uh, Christian Lundgaard ended up winning his first ever F two race uh, in, in F three F three race. Excuse me. Wait, what? Where am I going? I'm not looking at the right thing. Theo Pucher. Excuse me. Theo Pucher won his first ever F three race uh, on Sunday. Uh, because the two leaders took themselves out, and a safety car ended the race. The race ended yeah. under the safety car. Logan Sargent did finish P2, so we got another American on the podium again. Uh, Sargent P2 for Prema. Uh, good good to see that. And then uh, for Formula 2, race 1 was won by Robert Schwartzman, and then race 2, that one was won by Christian Lundgaard. Lundgaard ended up winning that one. Uh, so great racing uh, overall for F3, F2 this weekend. Uh, loved watching them, uh, as always. And I'm happy to talk about them because there were some fantastic, fantastically fun races that I get to watch over the weekend. If you get a chance to watch them on ESPN Plus, ESPN3, by all means, go for it. They're still on there, I think, for the most part. Uh, or F1 TV. If you have F1 TV subscription, I think you can watch them on there, too. So that's what right. happened. Yeah. Hey, and I failed to mention, too, Cole Custer, 33rd triple threat winner. Yeah, you're right. Didn't yeah. we? We talked about triple threat winner when uh, Haley won at Talladega. Now here we go. We got to... Uh, Cole Custer doing one. it again. Yeah. All right. So, hey, we're not going to talk really about the truck race because we've got so much to talk about. We do want to talk about the playoff picture here. The though. truck race only got two stages in, so, I mean. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a whole lot to do any uh, talk about anyways, but let's talk about the, the playoffs. Locked in are Sheldon Creed and Grant Infinger by virtue of their wins, okay? But remember, the field has expanded to 10 this year. It went from 8 to 10, and there are a number of players – Big names who are below the cutoff line. So let's talk about who is above it right now. Austin Hill is 109 to the good. Ben Rhodes is 54 to the good. Christian Eck is 38. Uh, Zane Smith, 37. Todd Gillen, 36. Brett Moffat, 21. Tyler Ankrum, 17. And Johnny Sauter, 14. All those guys are in right now, currently with nine races to go. But who's out? Derek Krause is the first guy out. He's he's 14 out. Matt Crafton, the, the three-time champion. He's 19 points out. Tanner Gray, he's 26 out. Stuart Friesen, two-time winner last year. He's championship four uh, driver last year. He's 28 out. Rafael Assard, the uh, uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports driver in the four truck, he's 55 out. And Ty Majeski in the Ross Chastain truck from last year, he's 66 out. Rob, man, I know we got nine races left. There's a lot of racing still to do, but I'm a, I've, I've been surprised all year long how, how poorly the 50 – two of Friesen has run, but also just the bad luck that Matt Crafton has had. Um, and I have to say, I'm surprised to see Todd Gillen and Zane Smith running as well as they are in, in, in the playoffs. Todd Gillen doesn't surprise me as much as I think it surprises a lot of other people. But but for me, definitely, Crafton, Crafton surprises me being below the cut line, especially 19 points below the cut line, meaning he's got quite quite a deficit to, to make up. Uh, Friesen, on the other hand, has just been, I have completely forgotten that he existed this season, which is surprising. 
Like, I, I don't think, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it just shows how much I paid attention to the truck series, how much I ended up, end up paying attention to the truck series. But Friesen has just been a complete afterthought. Like, I don't think he's been mentioned. He's not running in the top five, top 10, even. I mean, even if he is. He's thrown a huge loop for that team. Oh, it had to have. Had to have. Because, I mean, there is just no reason why, you know, he's running as poorly as he is, considering how well he, I think it was last year was his career best, wasn't it? He had a a fantastic year last year. I mean, he was was knocking on the door for wins until he finally cracked one out at Eldora and then won Phoenix. Yeah, so, I mean, he wins on dirt, and then he wins on pavement, and that's really what people were trying to get him to do, is win on pavement. He won on pavement, and now it's like he's regressed. He's regressed over the the course of the the offseason and even throughout the the, the COVID shutdown, whatever. whatever. Maybe that happened to it. I don't know what happened to him, but, oh, goodness. That's just not, not a good... Not a good sign for some of the Truck Series top runners. Yeah, definitely not. So with the Xfinity Series, wow, there was a little bit to uh, talk about. Brandon Jones has two bad nights. I want to point out here, he's had four straight DNFs. Did you know that? Give him a hug. He Yeah, the dude needs a hug. He's had three crashes. Three of those have been crashes. Then he had the oil fire at Indianapolis Road Course. Um, and then the obviously... Say what? That, that was not the Thursday race, the Xfinity race. That was not. There was not nothing you could have done. I mean, and that no. was like that was the most heartbreaking thing because you think about all the things that had happened to him up until that point. Then you know he gets he starts well. He got a good start. He was coming up on the outside. It looked like he was making some really good moves. All of a sudden, car spins in front of him. He's got nowhere to go. Yeah, it's like, and in that situation, the thing that always is hard is when a car is spinning and like drifting like that. Mm-hmm. it's so hard to time because yes, they're up top and you want to think they're going to go low. So your spotter's probably telling you to go low, but then it, he, I think he said it after the race. He was like instinct, you know, where are you going to go? You got to make that split second decision. He was probably banking on the car coming down the track, which is what I would have thought too. The cars continued to slide and drift through the corner. And that's when he ended up hitting him. I mean, he had to just drive through that smoke and hope that there was going to be no car on the other end. And there was a car on the other end. And I feel like no matter what he had done, if he had gone high, gone low, he still would have had some kind of damage to the car. So he was kind of, you know, between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And it was just one of the it, it you it I felt so bad for him because it's like how did you go from the highest to highs? You win your truck race at Pocono in an in, in outstanding fashion. You pretty much outdrive another driver. You get a great win, and then the next three races you go to. You have some of the worst possible luck where you don't even get to complete the first five laps. Yeah. Like he had completed what? Not even five laps over the course of three races, I think it was. At Pocono, he didn't complete one lap. In Indianapolis, I think he only got three done. And then he didn't well, even he went get through one corner Indy. at Kentucky. He went further than that at Indy. No, I think but, he was only like credited with having finished three laps. Race. I mean, there, was a, there was a few races there where he did not complete. I think he only completed three laps in Indianapolis. I mean, that's sure. what I... That's what I looked up. I think he only completed. Let me see. Let's see here. Let's let's go ahead here and and, and double check because I'm I'm fairly certain. A good good amount of laps in it at Indianapolis. Oh, he did. Because he was right where. Oh, he got thirty four in. Okay, yeah, I don't know why I got three. Maybe I just complicitly ignored the four next to it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know it, what it, I yeah, he's had a rough stretch. The guy, yeah. the guy probably wants to forget most of the month of June and this beginning of July, and and 
just move on. So uh, a tough, tough, tough run for him. Not indicative of what that team is definitely capable of because we obviously see Harrison's got two victories here. Herbst ran has run well recently. He seems to be growing. Um, the more races he runs in the Xfinity series, um, Gregson fast again in the in, in at, at Kentucky, and 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 he leads last, but doesn't end up winning the race. Kind of got pinned back there in traffic based off other guys' strategy and the restarts, which, by the way, let's talk about the restarts for a second. Wild, mm-hmm. and that's about the extent you can talk about Kentucky. The restarts were wild, and sometimes the bottom line worked, sometimes it didn't, and if you were in the wrong line, you were kind of screwed. You know, that's what it was. It seemed like one end of the track had a lot, a lot of grip, but that lot of grip was existed for everyone, so therefore you couldn't get an advantage. And then the other end of the track, you had no grip, so you but no one had a grip at all, so you can't. It, there's, it was very difficult to pass. Um, and then Justin Allgaier, there's a wreck, and I got home um, from work, and I was like, "Man, I hope Justin's okay. I need to get doored in that wreck." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Cause you can't get a good angle. You get hit wrong. It, no, it, he was. I get you want to say physically all right, but he had a heart. They didn't. The doctors at the track didn't like his heart rate, so they sent him to the hospital to get double checked. Everything was okay. He was cleared the race. What finishes fifth? the next night. So good news for Justin. Good, 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 good thing for our doctors and our medical staff having these, having these protocols in place. Hey, I don't like that. We're going to transport you, you know, to, to a local hospital, make sure everything's okay. I, you know, very, very appreciative of that. Um, that side of our sport. Um, and, and Rob, what, 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 what were some of your other thoughts from the Xfinity races at Kentucky? Well, you know, I thought they were, they were good races. They weren't necessarily the quality of races I think that I expected to see out of uh, out of the Xfinity series. Right. But that could just be content. Just that could just be Kentucky. I mean, I think Kentucky is they first and foremost. Kentucky is this odd, odd outlier of a track where it that this they ruined the surface when they repaved it, and then they've ruined it even further by putting the traction compound there because the traction compound. I don't understand why NASCAR is so insistent on laying down a traction compound when we've clearly seen that it just makes it makes the top groove or wherever it's placed, except for Bristol, an ice rink. You know, I think Bristol is the only place that we could put a traction compound where it actually enhances the racing and does what it's supposed to do. Every time we've tried putting it at a mile and a half, it just makes it almost impossible for drivers to run up there. And so when you should have had, you know, side by side racing, what should you don't get that. Because the traction compound up there is so slick that nobody could go up there to put enough rubber on it to get it heat up, heated up enough for it to even be, for even it to even be effective. You know, so I think at, at this point NASCAR needs to do away with traction compounds outside of Bristol because it's at this point it's been clear and blatant and obvious that it doesn't work outside of Bristol, and you know it, it especially throws bones into IndyCars. Any track IndyCar goes to, especially example A Texas, and then you know you get you you want you get on top of that that the racing just is ends up not being as good if if it's a night race with the traction compound where the traction compound has no time to heat up. I think on the, in the Cup race and the Sunday race race and 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 also in the Arca race as well. Uh, I think you saw a little bit more ability to side by side race because of the traction compound because it was it was hotter it. It had time to like you know grip up, get grippy, 
and I think you saw more side by side with that. But when you're running both the Xfinity races basically at night, not going to happen. You know, not going to happen. It's it. You just don't get a good race there. So I don't think that we just didn't see a good race, unfortunately, uh, out of the Xfinity series. And I think a lot of that has to do with the traction compound and Kentucky's surface in general. Yeah, definitely a rare, rare miss for the Xfinity series. And then, of course, at the end of the second race, you had the fight. Harrison Burton and Noah Gregson. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you expect when you shove a guy twice? I think he's probably going to swing yeah. at you. Just going to say, that's just, a, that's just a good rule for life. Mm-hmm. You know, don't shove a guy twice. It's got, Michael Scott, fool me once, strike one. Fool me twice, strike three. One of the greatest yeah. lines of all time from that show. And Noah Gregson, that second, second show was strike three, and he, he threw a, a hooking shot. So, you know, we haven't heard, as of right now, we haven't heard of any penalties. Um, I hope there's not because that's kind of, you know, it's, I feel like racing is one of those few sports where you can fight and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just emotional. It's an emotionally driven sport. And these guys settled it. I'd rather them see it settle sometimes with their fists than rather with their cars wrecking each other on track, especially when they're young guys and they maybe don't have that experience not to know that. So, um, Xfinity Series playoff outlook. Now we got projected eleven races to go. If they get the rest of the races rescheduled and realigned, so locked into the playoffs are Chase Briscoe, Noah Gragson, Austin Cindric, Justin Haley, Harrison Burton, and Brandon Jones. Ross Chastain finds himself two hundred seventy six points to the good. Allgaier is one hundred eighty four. Michael Annette is a hundred and sixty. Excuse me, one hundred thirty six. Riley Herbst is seventy two to the good. Ryan Sieg is fifty seven, and Brandon Brown. Is 14 to the good. So right now below the cutoff line, guys who are eligible, all right, for the uh, to make it in. Myatt Snyder is 14 back. Clements is 30 back. LeBay is 42 back. And Little is 47 back. Um, I, I'm really, I'm not worried about Herps not making it. But, uh, you know, Seeks had some bad luck. He's lost a lot of points. Um, and he was like top six, seven in points and, and really doing well. Uh, as far as the cutoff line, and then Brown, you know, that, that, those guys I think are going to be the ones you're going to have to watch in this in, over the next projected again, you know, eleven races, nine to nine to eleven races here before the playoffs get going. Um, so, uh, do you think Sieg and Brown both make it in, or, or who do you think are those two guys in the cutoff line to get in? I personally think it's going to be Ryan Sieg and Myatt Snyder who are going to be those two guys getting in the last two spots. I think, yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think Myatt Snyder is having, the thing about Myatt Snyder is it's going to be tough for him because he's running for uh, for, for Sieg's team as well. And when you're running the third car, at, or second or third car at Sieg, you know, I mean, he's he's done very well in it. But I think it's hurt his consistency because doing well in the Richard Childress car is like top five or top ten, doing well in... Uh, Ryan Sieg's car is like top 15. You know what I mean? And and I think that, you know, while he's doing that, he's doing really well. He's having good runs. I think it's going to, he's probably just going to barely get in on that. He's just, at this point, I think he's just going to barely eclipse that cutoff if he does it. But it's it's probably not going to last long unless RCR decides, okay, well, you made the playoffs, so we'll just go ahead and keep you in that car for the rest of the season so that you can have the best chance to win the championship. If that doesn't happen, making the playoffs is kind of a moot point because it's like he he knows he'll he'll probably go in there knowing that he's most likely going to be eliminated within the first uh first round. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's talk about the F1 uh, race. Second time there at Red Bull Ring. Uh, right off the get-go, Ferrari yeah. comes together in what is turn three. I call it turn two because I don't count that kink as a turn, but whatever. Do they really um, count the kink as a turn? It, it's it's serious. Not, not turny enough. I don't know. Uh, it's I, I not a know. turn. It, that kink is not a turn. You can't be serious. Really? They really call that turn three? That's ridiculous. That's that's what they call that. Yeah, where they had where they collided is turn three there at, at Red Bull Ring. I got confused to it during the broadcast last year. Um, so they come together. Vettel is missing the rear wing, takes too long to replace. They retire the car a few laps later. Uh, Charles Claire, he he he's retired as well. So yeah, double floor damage, I think. Twentieth for them. Not good day at all. Uh, stewards deem it no action necessary. Ferrari, you handle it on your own. <laughs> um. I the thought I said we don't want any part of this. We're not going to get involved. You guys settle it for yourself. Yes. Which I yeah, it was great. And then the commentators poked fun at Haas and Roman Grosjean uh, for passing a teammate without incident. I mean, that's not that's not a good. I mean, it's it's kind of the truth, but it's not a good look when that's when that's the first thing that comes to your mind at that situation. Hey man. Um, Considering yeah, what Haas went through last week, you mentioned Perez was very fast. Stroll was fast. Um, you had some really good battles between them and the McLaren drivers, and then Daniel Ricciardo later on, as after Ocon retired um, for having a cooling issue. Um, like they said yeah, radiator I, I issues. Thought, I thought it was. It wasn't to me. It wasn't exciting because he didn't have as much retirements and kind of surprising retirements as last week. But I thought it was still a solid race. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a good race. I thought I I was entertained. Uh, I think well, I shouldn't say that. I, I I was entertained in the beginning and in the end. The middle of the race kind of lost me. Kind of zoned out. Sat on my phone for a little bit. But towards the end of the race, it got a lot better. It, it got more. I shouldn't say better. I, I say I should say it got the action picked up. I should say. Yeah. Um. Definitely there towards the end with you know Perez trying to set fast. Everybody trying to set fastest yes. laps. Guys making free stops because they, you know, they can go for the fastest lap. Perez trying to catch Albon, and then really the whole three wide at the finish. That was an ex- exciting in and of itself. Uh, Hamilton uh, drove a great race, not surprising at all. I mean, it's it's Hamilton; it's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Bottas also drove a great race, uh, to be expected as well. Um, but in general, I I felt like it was a. Um, I thought it was a good race. I thought I was entertained from it from the start, uh, and not all the race I was entertained, but I was still entertained. Um, so I, you know, that's pretty much all I've got to say. I mean, I was happy with it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it takes a different it takes a different type of appreciation to 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 watch an F one race and understand it. And if you if you reach that level and you understand it, then it, it was a good race. It, it mm-hmm. should have been a good race in your eyes. Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit what happened with IndyCar at Road America this week? Oh, man. The IndyCar Road America race was a fun one. So race one was uh, pretty much – it was it was uh, an interesting kind of strategy race for the most part uh, early on. Uh, Newgarden had a dominant car, and uh, but, you know, we had crashes. We had issues. We had problems. So uh, Pato Award and Connor Daly came together. And uh, Daly hit the wall really, really hard, but oh, he was all right. Uh, he was all right. He ran. He, he managed to race the next day. Um, you said here he dislocated his shoulder, but uh, it shouldn't be any 
more big of a fix than just popping it back into place. Jack Harvey ran off the track and pretty much threw away a top five finish after having a good good race at uh, Indianapolis. Um, and then Scott Dixon, man, just it the ice man cometh. You know, you can't melt the ice man. I uh, just can't. But Alex Palou finished uh, third. That was his first podium in the first race one. So race one was a little bit. It was a good race. It was a good race, but it wasn't nearly as good as race two. Race two was really where all the action picked up. Pato Award was on the pole. It was his first pole uh, in IndyCar series. And, you know, I want to I add something uh, too because I feel like this is something. We talk about Pato Award, and the commentators on the NBC broadcast were making I, – and I, talk, I, I, I noticed this when that was happening. They were talking about, oh, well, he didn't have that great of a season in Europe. He, did, he, wasn't, he didn't impress in Europe. He didn't impress in Super Formula. The dude ran two races in F2 and three races in Super Formula. That is five total races. And he did far, he finished ahead of race, serious regulars and was up to pace and was fast. I don't know where in the world that's a failure because compared, I mean, I really plopped in last year to, to an MP Motorsports car that was being driven by our Lord and Savior Mahavir Ragunathan. And, and, and if you're familiar, with Lord Mahavir, you know that there's no reason this guy should be in an F2 car, period, and that this car was already behind the eight ball from the start, and I think he was only a couple of tenths off of Jordan King, and also another guy who had raced in IndyCar before. His teammate at the time in, in MP Motorsports in F2 was Jordan King, and he was only a few tenths off his pulse, uh, off his qualifying speed uh, when they qualified. So he had no time, no testing whatsoever. He had one round of practice and one round of qualifying, and he was already within a few tenths of his teammate. How is that a failure? And also, by the way, he has a sixth-place finish in Super Formula at uh, Suzuka, I think it was. It's either Suzuka or, or Motegi, I can't remember off the top of my head now. But his European chops were not nothing to look poorly about. I'm sure if he had a full season in an F2 car, if he had a full season in in Europe or in Japan, I'm sure he would have, he would still be there. You know, I, I'm sure, I'm almost certain Pato would still be over there. He wouldn't be here, but that's for sure. He would, he would, he would be over in Europe still. So I don't, know where here, comment, I don't know where the commentators were looking at that. I don't know if they just don't watch theater series as much as I do, European racing series, European single-seater series as, as much as I do. But Pato's stats, I mean, the finishes and the results, they might not look great on paper, but you have to put things in a context to understand that Pato was up to speed, and he was also in a car that was pretty much never going to compete for wins because the team was like, Mahavir's in this. There's no point in giving him the best stuff. Just forget it. Let's just put this car out on the grid. He was a replacement driver, and he came in there, and he, and, and he was never, he was only a few a bits, a little bit slower than Jordan King whatever. So again, Pato Award put on pretty much what was a clinic um, from the start, and uh, Will Power decided to do something. Uh, so first, Ray, first before before we even hit the first turn, uh, Power and Hunter Ray come together. Hunter Ray crashes. He's out of the race. Then Power and Ray Hall come together, and now Ray Hall's out of the race. So now Power's got all this damage, and now there's the safety. Now there's a Full course yellow, and uh, power is just kind of being all punched Nevis about us, and uh, that's a throwback to when Elio Castroneves wrecked a bunch of drivers like it four straight races. I think they called him Punstro Nevis. Uh, 
let's talk about this for a second. Did you, what did you think about, let's talk about the first incident. Did you think there was anything different that anyone could have done in that situation? Well, I understand. Okay. This is the thing about the start is I understand that the start of the race, you have to be aggressive and you have to be really, really aggressive at the start of the race, but you also have to be smart and you have to be patient. You can't win the race the first turn. You can't win the race the first lap. So you yeah, have to be patient. We've repeated that before. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I understand when you, when you get all those jitters, you get all ready and excited to go racing. You want to just go. You know, you want to make up as many spots on the restart as you possibly can. I get it. I get why Power might have been really, really aggressive there. But he has, at the same time, everybody else, in addition to Power, needs to understand you got to give your fellow competitors room on the first lap. Because if you don't give your fellow competitors room on the first lap, guys are going to go four wide in there, and you're going to be stuck in the middle, and the first one to back out is the guy who's going to probably win the race, and the next three guys that don't back out are all going to hit each other. (laughs) Well, it looked like to me that Hunter Ray tried to go into a hole that wasn't there. And they were, I mean, they're already really close together. And if, I mean, it's not like you don't, you have this uh, hazard detection in these cars where like, oh crap, there's a car coming. I, I got to break my car. And maybe Power was afraid of getting run over. I don't know. I thought the first incident was a little like, uh, okay. That was a racing incident to me. The second one with Ray Hall, while I think it could have happened to anybody, and we've seen it happen to other people in the corners where they wheel lock and, and a car goes off track. Maybe it doesn't wreck as violently. I do think that wall situation needs to be looked at uh, on on how those are placed for sure because that was a vicious hit by, by Ray Hall too and could have been a lot worse. Thankfully, it wasn't. But I do think Power got dinged. He wouldn't have gotten dinged so much if he didn't get into Ray Hall for sure. Uh, and Ray Hall also kind of had that corrective deal. And he hit another car and spun. So I thought, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I get the second one more than the first one. I didn't agree with. I think there was both drivers were to blame with, with, with the Hunter Ray incident myself. That's just my opinion. No, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see, I, I don't see why that would be an incorrect opinion. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people see it differently. Me, in my opinion, I think everything was a racing incident. Um, I think Power was maybe being a little bit too aggressive. Uh, but then again, I don't blame him for being aggressive. Because like him. I said, it's the start of the race. you got to make up the positions when you can. And Road America, the thing about Road America is Road America is long. It's long. Four I mean, miles. As much as we like to... We're going to talk about the finish here. As much as we like to talk about the finish, you have to keep in mind that everyone else was 14 seconds behind the leader. Yeah. So it's kind of a situation where you had to make up positions early. Early. Otherwise, because track position was going to be key because there was no way you were going to make it up on track, basically. Because once that field got spread out, there was no way you were going to make up any track position on track unless you had perfect pit stops undercut every single time, yep. you know, blistering out laps, blistering in laps, you know, that's really the only way you were going to do it. And power screwed up. Uh, and when he went off track and he brought out the caution, I mean, it, it, it screwed him up. I mean, his whole race was done. 
I mean, he could have salvaged a decent race had he not screwed up and, and gone off the track. But I think he salvaged what was a bad situation. He finished 11th. Right, but I'm saying he could have finished way higher. I yeah, mean, Penske cars in general on Sunday were just not anywhere near where they should have been. Power was a disaster. Pagano was nowhere to be found, and I forgot Newgarden was in the race. Um, so it was really just – but it was really fun to watch Pato Award and Felix Rosenquist. The, the chase down from Felix Rosenquist onto Pato Award. I did not expect Rosenquist to get it because I genuinely thought that Rosenquist coming out on the black tires was going to be a disadvantage. But I don't think I realized how much awards red tires were going to wear as fast as they did. Uh, they wore faster than I anticipated them to because I really thought that he was going to be able to go fat, go longer on the red tires. That was not the case. Rosenquist came on, put on the blacks, and just was able to start closing the gap almost immediately. I mean, he was at, there was a point where he was closing in on almost like a second a lap. Yeah. Uh, and and that was impressive because you, if you close in on a second a lap, but I think he had a five or six second gap when he came out of the pits to award that he had to make up and he made up the whole gap. I mean, dude, give Rosenquist a, a big pat on the back for this. Cause not only did he chase him down and award award hang held on. I mean, I know Pato was really, really happy. I mean, he's really happy to finish second. I know he wanted to win that race, mm -hmm. but considering the fact that he probably looked winning in the eyes and realized, Oh, Oh, it's closer than it seems. Like this is going to happen for me more often this season. Mm -hmm. I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, I think Rosenquist and Award are going to be a lot of fun to watch in this first, and, and and especially so because I've watched both of these guys come up through the ranks. I mean, I, Rosenquist was in uh, Indy Lights as it was in Pro Mazda, Pato Award, Pro Mazda, Indy Lights, um, Pato Award. I saw him go to F two. Uh, Rosenquist went to Formula E for a little bit. I mean. These are really, really good road course drivers, and they're showing it that they could do it, especially in a place like Road America. So, I'm happy with the outcome of the uh, of the race. I thought it was a good race, an entertaining race, and you know, I think from there, I think we should move on to the Cup Series. Yeah. Well, the Cup Series. Uh, I mean, again, the restarts were wild in that in that race. Uh, I unfortunately didn't get to watch it. Uh, so, Rob, I'm going to have to. To throw this to you, I just saw the highlights and the restarts look wild. You had Kyle Busch, more troubles. My goodness, is he going to? Mm -hmm. He's approaching that twenty-one race win mark here that he had a few years ago, where he hadn't won one yet. Uh, by the time he won that race, uh, you had the Keselowski Johnson collision on the uh, restarts, and I think what a lot of people would classify as a surprise winner. Uh, yeah, it was a surprise winner for that's for sure. Kyle Busch, on the other hand, speaking of Kyle Busch, I cannot believe that it is July and he has not won a race yet. That is unprecedented. And now I understand that we were off for three months, but still, it's still, yeah, not three still. months, month and a half, really. Yeah. We ended in March 14th was when we really, it was it 10 weeks. We were off 10 weeks, 10 so weeks. Two, okay. Yeah, so two and a half months we were off. So, but yeah, no, I mean, despite that, it's still, that's still a long time because NASCAR has done such a great job of making up as many races as they possibly can to get a full 36 race season in, which by the way is commendable in and of itself. And another reason why that memo that went out should be taken seriously and why I'm so nervous about the all-star race, because I fear that, you know, with all those fans there, no matter what social distancing practices you do, NASCAR just needs to be careful 
because you're going to send out a memo like that and then say, oh, but so many fans could come to Bristol and we're still going to go race in Texas. It's like, you guys want to finish the season? Because I want to finish the season and we got to be careful. We got to walk on eggshells here if we're going to finish the season because, you know, one cluster of an outbreak is really going to end our season. One garage area gets it, then the whole season is over. You know, we have to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I thought the race at Kentucky was a race. I wouldn't classify it as a good race. I wouldn't classify it as an okay as a bad race. I would say it was an okay race with a good finish. It was an okay race with a good finish. Um, I think, you know, Kentucky, can they pass? Can they pass? I think that was easier to pass on Sunday than it was in the Xfinity races and especially in the truck race. Mainly because I think the heat helped the traction compound come in. But the traction compound is completely worthless for a night race. And the traction compound is also completely worthless if nobody's going to use the outside groove, which it seemed like people were hesitant to do, but then it eventually came in. And once it came in, the restarts, like you said, were wild for that reason because then all of a sudden there was a lot more uh, space to maneuver, move around. Guys could make up more spots. And especially at NASCAR, those restarts are absolutely insanity because that's what NASCAR wants. They want restarts to be insane, but they don't care how... Because they, fi- I think they figure, you know, people watch for the restarts and then take naps for the rest of the race. And admittedly, I just because I take naps during the race doesn't mean everybody does. You know, just because I have my stage two nap doesn't mean that everybody does. You know, some people actually do want to watch the race be good. I just know that by stage two, nothing's worth watching because it's halfway through the race and nobody can pass anyway. I'd like to for that not to be the case and for my attention to be kept the whole time so I'm on edge and excited instead of just being like, oh, okay, let's just get through the end of this stage. And that's really what it felt like. That's what it's felt. That was what it felt like every time we go to Kentucky. It's just like, all right, let's just get through the end of the stage. Let's get the final stage started. I don't care. Nobody cares. That's why the truck race was so underwhelming because we only got the first two stages and nobody cared really. And we didn't really see an exciting finish for the stage because, yes, while, you know, uh, rain was coming. I don't really think people thought rain was going to come right then and there and end the race right after the stage. I don't know. I think in the Cup Series, the, the finish, though, excellent finish. Crazy finish. Crazy. Absolutely threw me off guard. Didn't expect any of that to happen. Didn't expect Cole Custer to just come completely out of nowhere and win. I mean, I knew Kevin Harvick was in, in the top four, and I'm thinking here, Okay, well, Kevin Harvick's there. Okay, I kind of expect that. Truex being there, I expect that. Blaney being there, I expect that. But where did Cole Custer come from? You know, I'm like, usually you're you're asking that question about Kevin Harvick, but here we are, we're seeing his teammate come out of absolutely nowhere and win this race. And and if you had told me at the beginning of the season that Cole Custer was going to be the first rookie to win a race, I would have said, are you kidding me? I would not have believed you because all signs still point to Tyler Reddick having mm-hmm. the, being that person who's going to knock it that first win. But no, it's Cole Custer. And statistically, prior to this win, Custer was actually having a worse season statistically than Suarez was last season. So this was a huge turnaround because, honestly, I was starting to think, I had, I had been thinking the last couple of weeks, I was like, you know, did Stuart Haas make the right decision here? Should they have just... Waited it out with 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 Suarez, and then uh, personally, maybe it's it's the secret Suarez fan in me that has bias that I wish they would, so we wouldn't be you know struggling to finish races in Gaunt Brothers machinery, um, and struggling to just finish on the lead lap in Gaunt Brothers machinery when he should be challenging for top tens, top fives, and wins. I digress. 
but I think I guess we we've been shown that Custer keeps his nose clean and he's there when he needs to be, and he did what he had to do to get that win. I, you can't. I'm not going to take anything away from the win from Custer because I think it was absolutely well deserved and a well earned win. Uh, and he beat three of the best, three drivers that have, mm-hmm. you know, two drivers that have won championships, and then Ryan Blaney, who is always, always, always up at the front. Um, you know, I like I said, I can't take anything away from him, but locking himself into the chase—that's another playoffs. Excuse me, that's another big big thing that'll help because that's something that Suarez could not do last season. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how hard he tried. I mean, it, Suarez tried till the very end. I mean, he gave it a valiant effort up until the very end to try to make the playoffs, but Hey, Custer doing it and locking yourself in. That's gotta be good job security. So when we look at where the, the, the where the playoff standings are now, uh, Kevin Harvick, Kez, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, and Cole Custer are all locked in. Then it's our Eric Almirola, Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch, DeBenedetto, Clint Boyer, William Byron, and Jimmy Johnson that are all on the, to the good. Then on the outside looking in, Austin Dillon, Tyler Reddick, which, by the way, a far cry from where RCR was last year. Yes. I mean, Dylan was a complete joke all the all last year, and now I can't believe he actually has more points than Tyler Reddick. Well, let's remember this too. Custer is below the top sixteen; he's twentieth in points. So that now creates that cut line is now fifteenth in points. Oh, you're right. God. So Austin Dylan is sixteenth in points right now, but on the outside looking in because of Custer bumping up. So. I mean, this, this, I can't, I don't know if this has even happened yet. Well, it's happened once before with, with, with Chris Busher when he got, got the rain out win at Pocono. But other than that, this hasn't happened yet in, in, in this playoff era. So this is, this is a big deal that it, your cutoff line is 15th. You're not looking at 16th anymore, folks. And if, 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 and if, you know, Christopher Bell or Bubba Wallace or, or Reddick has some bad races and he wins, cutoff line's not 14th. Gosh, this is exciting. You know, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they wanted to do with this playoff format, and they have nailed it. They have absolutely nailed the drama. I mean, you could call it manufactured all you want, but this this is dramatic. This is dramatic. I don't think it's manufactured because it's got to happen. It's got to play out somehow. But let's also note, too, before we move on to the outstanding performance, if Custer's the only rookie to move on to the playoffs, he's automatically the rookie of the year. Because he'd be finishing, he'd automatically finish higher, and it's now rookie of the year is just determined by who finishes higher in points, not who has the most rookie points or most points scored. It's just who finishes higher in the standings. So unless Reddick, Bell, Hunter Nemechek, uh, Poole, or Half can w- get their way into the playoffs, he's automatically the rookie of the year. So with that said, let's move on to the outstanding performance. Rob, who do you got? Yeah, so my outstanding performance is going to go to a guy who I think should uh, have gotten it a long time ago, Who got a guy who never gets the credit that he deserves, and that's Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez is a guy that continuously goes out there and has been the poster boy from the midfield for years uh, in F1. You know, a guy who's who got one really good shot at, at McLaren when really nobody wanted to drive for McLaren. I mean, Lewis Hamilton didn't want to drive for McLaren. Perez was like, yeah, okay, let's go. And then, oh, I'm not nearly as experienced for this as I thought it w- I would be. Now, I think if Perez went to McLaren, oh, 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 it'd be scary. It'd be scary. The fact of the matter is that Pink Panther right now, the pink Mercedes that Perez is putting it in, 
if Perez was in a black Mercedes instead of a pink one, just right. Say, I, I believe firmly that the F1 season would would be far more exciting, I guess, between Perez and Hamilton than it is between mm-hmm. Baltus and Hamilton. But Perez definitely deserved the shout because what an outstanding performance he put on in Austria. I don't care what the results say. Yeah. That guy was looking at, I thought for the longest time, I was like, this guy's going to go for another podium. He has the opportunity to get himself a podium. And I want to see another Sergio Perez podium because who's been the only guy to get on the podium for Force India slash Racing Point? Sergio Perez. Now, Lance Stroll has that podium, but that was in a Williams. So Perez has been the guy consistently taking a midfield car and putting it on the podium almost every year. It's only a matter of time before I'm sure Perez does it again. And I think this weekend proved that. All right. Well, I'm going with one that might be shocking to some people. I'm going. I'm. I'm singling out Marcus Erickson. He had a quiet fourth place finish. at Road America on Sunday. He finished tenth on Saturday, improving from a thirteenth place finish at Road America in 2019. So he got better as the weekend went on. But, but after, I mean, putting aside Texas, he's. I think he's improved dramatically being in a, in a Chip Ganassi machine uh this season and i'm looking forward to watching him progress um i think i don't think i'm alone in saying like how's he going to work out and in any car after last season um and you know we're, we're like wow he's going to ganassi ganassi expand for a third car for him that's a little bit of a shocker but you know what i'm excited to watch him um and and especially in a race where your teammate one and then your other teammate won the first three. So he's slowly progressing and just one to watch. More of a one to watch, more of an outstanding performance. But yeah, this is an outstanding performance past few few weeks here. All right. So now into the upshift downshift segment. Remember, you can play along in this. Use the hashtag Robin Roller. And also on the sneak peeks now, we will include the questions that we pose here uh in tweets. You can play along directly with those. Rob, we're gonna try to keep these quick, kind of kind of we're at the one hour, five minute mark. And as we just got to speed up. We're going to try to at least here. So we're the first one here uh, with the United States Grand Prix in jeopardy at the circuit of the Americas for 2020. If you were Roger Penske, are you lobbying the FIA and formula one to return to Indianapolis in 2020 for the United States Grand Prix? Do you upshift or downshift? And I upshifted so much. I broke the gearbox. Yes, let's do it. I mean, okay, look, the reason why I say that is let's be honest here. If F1 is going to attempt a United States Grand Prix, like let's say like they're still on for flying over here in North America and running United States, Mexico, and Brazilian Grand Prix. If they're going to do that, honestly, the best place to do that would be Indianapolis. And I say that because you can do it in Texas, but it is a COVID hotspot. And I talked about that earlier in, in the show, how, you know, the NASCAR race at Texas, Nick, is that's coming up is in jeopardy right now. There is some serious question of whether or not it will happen because of the COVID cases in Texas right now. Indiana, we're not in the top 10 of COVID cases, so that is good. That is a positive. Um, We're not maybe as good as everybody else, but I do know that we have a mandatory mask uh, requirement in Marion County, which would help. So if, you know, we return to Speedway, Indiana, then Everybody would be required to wear a mask uh, no matter what, uh, which would hopefully help keep cases down, help keep uh, transmission low. 
But you also have to keep in mind that the only two FIA Grade One certified tracks in North in the United States right now are Circuit of the Americas and Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So those are the only two places that could potentially host a United States Grand Prix. Period. So you're not going to see them try a street course on the fly. You're not going to see them try Watkins Glen. You're not going to see them try some other track. It's going to be Circuit of the Americas or Indianapolis if that happens at all. If Roger Penske has said, and he has, like I said, I mentioned this all the time, he is on record as saying that he wants F1 back in 2021. I think he should do it. I think he should do it as fast as he possibly can because getting F1 back to Indianapolis is going to help a lot, especially, especially if there's something happens with the 500, meaning we can't run it with fans or we have to cancel it entirely. That will help. Having a Formula One Grand Prix come to the track and then build excitement and hype for next season for a, a return to the U.S. Grand Prix or if they decide to do an Indianapolis Grand Prix or whatever, whatever they decide to call it, uh, that, would be, that would be huge. So I'm going upshift on that. Josh, I, I, I'm sure you probably echo my statements, but I still want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I upshift as well. My thing is that Indianapolis is a little colder than Texas at when this potentially could be run. So it's kind of like a sooner the date, the better. Um, and if it fits the a Formula One schedule, let's do it. I would hate them to show up and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, Mother Nature decided to make it snow early this year, um, which going off of 2020 probably will happen. Uh, so that would be my one thing. But yeah, if you're going to add Mugello, who has never hosted an F1 Grand Prix, uh, why not go to Indianapolis, who has hosted one before and has an improved circuit? Um, the Choose Cone will receive positive reviews following Wednesday night's all-star race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Do you upshift or downshift? Uh, I upshift. I actually think that it will receive positive reviews. I think if this is something that the drivers want and NASCAR is willing to try out, I don't think that it will receive be received poorly because it clearly seems like this is something that People have lobbied for and people have wanted and drivers as well. So, you know, I think that this is something that could really help the uh, outcome, really help a lot of drivers, really help the fans, really just in general be a good addition to the All-Star Race. So there's a lot of things about the All-Star Race that I'm not looking forward to, like the underglow lights, like this, uh, the number placement. But hey, man, I'm, this is one thing I am looking forward to is the choose cone. I have shift, I have shift as well. I think it's going to work out. I think... The choose cone could improve a lot of racing situations for front runners who have worked hard for track position at other tracks. And I think this is a crucial test to see, you know what it is. It can work. It is applicable. Uh, even if the field is relatively half the size of an unusual one, uh, the NTT IndyCar series just completed its first double header on back-to-back weekends. Um, at Road America, they will have a double header at Iowa this weekend. Should IndyCar officials consider more double headers in the future for schedules, uh, to increase number of races in a season. Do you have shift or downshift? Um, well, let's see here. Yes. Actually, I do. I do upshift on that because, honestly, I worry, and I have worried a long time, about the schedule length for IndyCar and the desire to get more ovals. I don't know if that's on Penske's radar because some of the things that I read, he says he thinks he's got a good mix and balance between street road and oval tracks. And I'm like, okay, but don't you have, you 
don't separate road and street courses because they're technically not the same, but they also are. Yes, a street course has different necessitates different setups, different shocks, different things like that than a road course, a different set skill set per se. But at the same time, both of those the the, the amount of knowledge that you need to race on a road course and a street course is comparable to is not even comparable to the amount that you need for an oval like an oval is a completely different beast entirely you approach the race differently you run the race differently it's entirely different i think fans from a perspective from a television's perspective at least probably definitely not from an attendance perspective but from a television perspective definitely prefer ovals so in my opinion if whatever gets us more ovals on the schedule I'm all for. Personally, I like double headers when they were first when the Weenley at three. We went. I think we had a double header at uh, Toronto, and we had the double header at uh, wasn't it uh, Edmonton? Houston? Yeah, no, Houston. Houston. We had a double header at Detroit and, and Detroit. Yeah, we've always had the duel in Detroit. The duel in Detroit is great. I love that. I personally really like that. Um, but uh, I would like to see them do it again at Toronto. And maybe at another oval, maybe at an oval like Iowa. Iowa would be Iowa is the perfect place to have a double header. I, I agree. Uh, Richmond too. I mean, it really, a double header short track is not a bad idea. So Iowa, Richmond, you can't go wrong. Maybe not a super speedway. Uh, like no. if Penske wants to go back to Pocono, don't do be doing stuff like that. Um, no. Definitely don't try stuff at uh, tracks maybe a mile longer. But Richmond and, and Iowa could be good options for double header ro- oval races. But just you know, keep. I think. I think short ovals and street courses are the best things to do uh, double headers on because I think that you'll have a bigger opportunity for fan engagement that way. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Josh? That's that's my I, thoughts. What do you think? I kind of agree with everything you said. Um, so I'm just going to say upshift because I agree. I was going to mention Iowa. I thought Road America provided two good races, so I wouldn't mind having Road America have two races on a weekend, but uh, that's just me on that one. All right, underglow lighting will be used on guaranteed entries for NASCAR All-Star Race on Wednesday. Do you upshift or downshift the use of underglow? Yeah, this one I'm going to have to downshift because I don't get it. What does it add? What is this adding to it other than, you know, a gimmick? You know, I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say it's it's a gimmick. A lot of people could say different things are gimmicks. This is definitely a gimmick. I don't even understand what it, what is technologically neat about this. You know, if they were testing something like uh, a turbo button or something, you know, let's say let's say NASA comes up with a, a, a hybrid turbo button, right? Where you can, and now this is way down the line, right? This is not going to happen. This is purely hypothetical, but I'm saying. NASCAR comes up in the, in the future when, when we start talking about hybrid power and stuff. They come up with a way to hybrid power a turbo button, right? Uh, that's something I want to see tested at the All-Star Race because that's a technological advancement. Yes. Um, I think they test or, or a package it, 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 in advancement, you know, something like that. When they test, you're testing something that could be used for the future of NASCAR. This is not something that we're going to use for the future. We're not, are we going to do underglow lights for the future of NASCAR? Are we going to do a bunch of uh, road race or night races with underglow lights? I hope not. Exactly. I I think you hope not. A lot of people hope not because then at that point, it just loses any appeal it had to begin with. Yeah. If this is a one-time thing because we're just throwing caution into the wind and practicing and trying everything in 2020, then that's fine. But 
if this is going to be something that NASCAR is going to seriously look at, in addition to the number placements, then they're going to have to conduct some serious fan council discussions because I really don't think anybody is going to be on board for either of those things. And that's why I downshift. I think the number thing is going to be an interesting conversation for us to have next week. But the underglow, I downshift because look at the four major changes that have occurred in this um, all-star race. The first one, Bristol. All right. I think NASCAR might know, hey, the package in the tire at Charlotte wasn't that good. Also, they want fans at the track. You weren't going to have fans at Charlotte. Good move. We can debate whether that was the right move with fans or not. Now fans, it's a different conversation, but we, they did it for the move of the race and to make the racing more exciting on a Wednesday night. All right, good. Um, the second move, all right, number placement. Uh, that's a little questionable, got people riled up, but it helped, it has the potential to help get more market value for the sponsors. All right. That makes sense. Awesome. The choose cone rule, something we've been lobbying for a while, for a while, it's made by year two, but really heated up since Darlington in May. All right. This is a procedural change. They're testing out. Can this improve racing and reward guys for having good track position, uh, and not having to worry about, I restart second, but I'm going to drop to eighth because. I'm in the crappy restart lane for whatever reason that in the last decade, this is a, this has become an issue with, with in NASCAR it hasn't always been that way, but it really has, is become more profound later. Then you get to this fourth change, which has no, it's a gimmick. It actually, I would argue harms the car because you're pulling amps to light this car. You gotta, gotta come from somewhere. The power to, the, to, to, to run these lights you're not going to put, I don't think they're going to put a separate battery in this thing to run it. So these amps that, that, that are shared in this car for driver cooling and, and, and comfort and then heat fans and for the brakes at Bristol, those amps got to come from somewhere, right? They got to come from somewhere. It's stupid. It's, it's dumb. It's gimmicky. I mean, it reminds me of need for speed and I don't like need for speed. It reminds me of fast and furious. I don't like fast and furious movies. I, I await your letters. Anyways, it's a dumb gimmick. It's dumb. It's just dumb. Thank you, Chip Ganassi. It was very cool at the at the burnouts for at, at Nashville last year, but I don't want to see him under a car. All right, final question here. Setting aside, Rob, this is important. Okay. Setting aside current and previous track configurations of Kentucky Speedway, is Kentucky worthy of a cup series date based on its market and surrounding tracks? Do you upshift or downshift? Uh, I downshift because I think you're, I, th- I don't think it is. I think we're looking at a situation where Kentucky is smack dab in the middle of, well, first and foremost, it's too close to Indianapolis. Uh, it's really not that far of a drive from Indianapolis. So you're taking potential Brickyard fans away, especially considering the fact that even if the Brickyard had had fans and even if it, Kentucky had had fans, it's not like either of them would have showed up because they would have probably picked one or the other and they had, would have probably guessed which race they would have would have enjoyed more and let's be honest with you they're both bad races but kentucky might be a little bit more fun to see because you can at least see the whole track uh and it was kind of built for nascar so uh there's that um but yeah no i really think kentucky's kind of worn out its welcome here i think it's too far i mean i I think it's too close we have too many other racetracks i mean it's kentucky and then you go further south you get to bristol and then all the tennessee tracks you go up north, you get to Indianapolis. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not. Either if you if they want to keep it, if they want to keep it on the schedule, th- it would behoove them to move it 
to some other time during the season. You know, move it to closer to the playoffs. Move it to maybe into the playoffs or something like that. You know, don't don't keep it so that it's when they're always in the Midwest, you know, because the thing about the Midwest races is that people from the Midwest have no problem driving to a bunch of races, but a lot of them don't have a lot of money. So if they're going to drive to a race, it's going to be the one that's worth their while. So if you live in Indianapolis, you don't want to go see the Brickyard, which let's be honest, a lot of people are like that. Uh, You know, you, you're probably going to pick your money up and go somewhere like Chicagoland, go to Michigan. Maybe you'll probably go to mid Ohio uh, Eldora, uh, you're, or you'll probably go down south to Kentucky. You know, it takes away. You have to be careful when you're scheduling all these things because you don't want to take away potential fans from certain markets. And I think that's what Kentucky is doing. It's taking fans away from a bunch of different markets when it should be realigned to maybe a date where it's where it wouldn't do that, or maybe it shouldn't be on the cup schedule at all. That's where I'm going with it. I don't want to take too much more time on it, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, a downshift as well. Um, you know, if Kentucky stays on the schedule, I've kind of thought myself the last 24 hours that I do think the all-star race one of these days, I mean, it will remain at Charlotte. I think it will be run the Wednesday before the 600. So running Kentucky the weekend before the 600, I feel like that would be good. Just breaks up Midwest races. There's just too many Midwest tracks right now. The heart of NASCAR is and always will be the Southeast. Um and when you have Gateway, Iowa, and Road America, who are rumored to be having conversations for cup dates, you're talking about a very crowded Midwest. Um, Kentucky, uh, again, you, I, I've always said it takes fans away from Bristol, takes fans away from Indianapolis, takes fan. It will take fans away from Nashville. Uh, whether we're going to the Super Speedway or the fairgrounds, it's just a matter of the fact of life there. Um, I've said a good compromise that, you know, give Kentucky a doubleheader in Xfinity series, doubleheader in the early summer, and then give them a triple header with Xfinity truck and Arca in September. And, uh, you know, have that be playoff races for the truck and Xfinity and the, maybe the Arca championship race. Um, you know, I feel like that would be a cool weekend to go to. You get to see three races and, and, uh, up and coming stars, playoff races. Awesome there. But no, I don't think it's a cup market. I think it kind of falls in the category. I mean, I love Gateway, but I feel like Gateway's kind of a and it, it, it's a it's a triple A market. Iowa, it's a triple A market. Pikes Peak, yeah, it's kind of borderline, but it's a triple A market. Milwaukee, triple A market. So you know these tracks that I would love to see on the cup schedule. Maybe we could get a rotation, but yeah, it's not a cup market, unfortunately, based off other tracks that are around the area. All right, so that's that. Remember, you can play along. We're going to be posting these questions. Um, as, uh, you may have already seen on Twitter, uh, tag along and let us know how you shift here. So, all right, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, and I still got this roller featured racetrack to share. Uh, so I'm going to try and make this quick as quick as I can. I think so, you've got time before Chicago land speedway NASCAR didn't venture into the state of Illinois or the Chicago area regularly or often. So let's step back into the middle of the last century to a village just southwest of downtown Chicago named Willow Springs. Located near the corner of Wolf Road and 91st Street, next to the main line of the Santa Fe Railway and the Plains River, is the Santa Fe Speedway. So, to be clear, the elephant in the podcast, yes, Santa Fe Speedway was named for the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railway, which, as I just mentioned, ran right beside the property. Uh, But before it was Santa Fe Speedway, it was named Santa Fe Park. 
Frederick Teat built a picnic grove and racetrack in 1896. Once the track was built, the area became known as Teatville. The track uh, was a half mile and used for horse racing, bicycles, motorcycles, and eventually automobiles. Um, they all raced there until the 1920s when a tornado destroyed the grandstands and nothing really went on. Other entertainment at the park included a dance hall, beer garden, and bowling alley that guests often arrived by, yes, the Santa Fe Railway. Bring them in. Bring them in on a train. I mean, you often, you know, this is the way you did things back in the day. Train was the main travel and... You went from station to station, and whether it was a actual station building or a halt, you got off there and you went to your event. In 1946, Frederick Teat passed away, and his son Howard took over ownership. Howard established the Santa Fe Park Enterprises uh, Incorporated, and the group began to plan and construct a proper racetrack on the grounds. Construction of the Santa Fe Speedway was completed prior, just prior to the 1953 racing season. The track would eventually have also a quarter mile as well as the half mile clay oval. A series of rainouts pushed the first race back to Sunday, May 31st, 1953. Kenny Boyer won the first stock car feature ahead of Bill Van Allen. Some of the races were even broadcast on WGN-TV with popular baseball announcer Jack Brickhouse behind the microphone. The inaugural race mm. season saw three 200-lap races won by Bill Clemens, Bill Moore, and Fred Kasten. Uh, at the conclusion of the inaugural season, Teat and Company uh, provided a wide variety of racing in addition to weekly stock car shows. Quote, new car late model races were featured along with the with an IMCA sprint car event and a Central States Racing Association, quote, big car show. Uh, United Auto Racing Association, UARA, Midget Races, and American Motorcycle Association, AMA, contests were also at the track. Weekly Motorcycle Racing and AMA Grand National Championship events uh, were a part of Santa Fe for years to come down the road. The NASCAR Grand National Division made its first appearance to the Chicago area on July 10th, 1954 at Santa Fe Speedway. The 200-lap race uh, was run on the half-mile track. Dick Rathman took the lead on lap 47 and never looked back. His 54 Pure Oil-sponsored Hudson beat big names of NASCAR like Herb Thomas, Herschel McGriff, Lee Petty, and Buck Baker. 6,000 fans attended the race. Uh, the best local driver was Bill Moore. He finished 10th, 17 laps down in a 50 Plymouth. Santa Fe would crown track champions for stock cars and sportsman stock divisions each season for, for many years. Ben, Bill Van Allen, Kenny Boyer, Ken Finley, Rich Clement, Wayne Etzel, Dick Nelson, Tony Izzo, John Provenzano, Jack, Larry Jackson, Frank Reber, Bill I uh, just remember this one, Nip Nippenberg and <laughs> Nip Nippenberg, Bob Holman Jr. were uh, champions of the stock car side. Late model champions, to name a few, were Bob Kelly, Don Waldvogel, Larry Jackson, and Jim O'Connor. But sadly, tragedy struck the track on June 5th, 1966, following the checkered flag. After Ken Finley won a 25-lap feature, he collected the flag and did a victory lap. But suddenly he, he slumped over the wheel and and uh, sl at a slow speed ran into some cars in the pit area. He had sadly suffered a fatal heart attack. He was just 38 years old. Uh, prior to his death in 1990, Howard Teat was a major player in the battle with the Illinois Pollution Control Board. Uh, when it came to noise pollution at racetracks in the area, and, and which included Santa Fe. 
Teat was also able to get Santa Fe on a list of uh, tracks for NASCAR's weekly Winston Racing Series in 1987 after his passing, his daughter Mary Lou and her husband John Moskal took over operations. Uh, also over the years, USAC Midget and Sprint Cars, along with the World of Outlaws uh, Sprint Cars, competed at Santa Fe. Records show that USAC shank- sanctioned a total of 66 races between 64 and 1995. Um, and, then a, and then in the 1979, winged uh, Sprint Cars, or the World of Outlaws, came to the track as well. Steve Kinzer and Sammy Swindell each won four times. Uh, now, fans and competitors were pretty excited to get the 1996 season underway. As usual, every short track around the world, you know, when it, when it comes to the race season ending, you look towards the next season. We do the same thing with NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One. Uh, but they got a, a letter from President Mary Lou Teat. Uh, she retained her uh, maiden name. Said that the uh, management didn't plan on opening the track for 1996. And the letter was dated January 15th, 1996. Um, you know, basically it just became difficult for the track to operate in litigious society as, as, as became to be known, you know, you talk about the noise control and pollution. We don't need to get into the politics of the Chicago area and, and how it dominates the state of Illinois, but you know, that can be, that makes things difficult. We've seen it with other tracks. You're noisy. We're currently seeing it with Nashville fairgrounds. Um, the track didn't open in 19, 1996 and it didn't open in 97. And it didn't open in 98. And finally, the, the wrecking ball came down on, on March in 1999, uh, making way for the $70 million, the windings of Willow Ridge neighborhood. Um, if you check out historical aerials, historicaerials.com forward slash viewer, search Wolf Road and 91st Street, uh, comma, Willow Ridge, comma, Illinois. You'll be able to see the former Santa Fe Speedway and its predecessor, Santa Fe Park, as well. Um, you know, the Chicago area being a major metropolitan has a lot of uh, aerial imagery taken during its time. So you can see it, see it there, see what the track looked like, and see what the neighborhood now that sits on top of there. And like many places around the country, many tracks we've discussed, how many people know that they are shopping or living on a place where some of the biggest names in racing in the United States, let alone the world also raced on as well. So that was today's uh, featured racetrack, Santa Fe Speedway and its predecessor, Santa Fe park. So Rob, any last words before we get into the what's in the windshield segment? Well, gotta say, it's always sad to hear another uh, track that uh, got taken down for the sake of a, of a neighborhood, but uh, hey, good, good, uh, good segment this week. I'd like to hear about it, and uh, I learned a lot actually. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't really know about this track, so thank you for that. <laughs> no problem. I always enjoy it. So, what's in the windshield? Hey, Formula One. Formula One is back for a third straight weekend of racing. I believe this is only the second time ever that this has happened, and it will happen again, mm-hmm. uh, probably a few times later this year. We all, we obviously know of one. Uh, they're in Hungary this week for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Um, they'll then have a week off next week before going to Silverstone in back-to-back weekends. IndyCar has a number, another doubleheader themselves at Iowa Speedway. The Iowa IndyCar 250s will take place on Friday and Saturday. Um, then NASCAR has their all-star race on Wednesday at Bristol Motor Speedway, as we've discussed. number of changes and experiments going on. Um, I'm excited for that race. Um, got the day off got, and I'm able to watch the race. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked about that as to 
famous words of willpower. I'm so stoked right now. All right. <laughs> and, and then they're supposed to head down to the Lone Star State uh, with the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and the Cup Series to Texas Motor Speedway. We'll see if that happens. Hopefully it does. Um, but, uh, you know, just, again, the, the situation around the world is fluid. Wear your mask. That's an easy thing you can do. Um, to, it's not just for your own protection, but other people's protection. One thing, I'm going to go on a little mini rant here. It's not really going to be a rant, but I wish we saw the numbers of the percentage of people who are hospitalized, then the people that have mild symptoms like Dale Jarrett and Jimmy Johnson had, and then we have the people who are asymptomatic. But, uh, you know, the easiest way to do is just just be safe. Wear your mask when you're in crowded places. If you're out in a walk in the middle of nowhere, you don't need to wear one, but it's not a – it's not – it's not a it's not that big of a thing to, to deal with. So to end here, remember the follow us on Twitter. Rob is at R P E E T E R S three three. I'm at roller underscore zero one. R O L L E R underscore zero one. The podcast is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds. And uh, use the hashtag Robin Roller to engage with uh, our posts there. We had we had some people respond to some of the posts last week. So enjoy the sneak peeks every week. And uh, we can't wait to have you come back next week. So for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great racing week, everybody.